First Peter chapter four, verses seven and eight, and our second text is First John chapter four, verses 18 and 19. We're in a series called All in the Family. And we've been talking about this, uh, this topic, what makes a solid marriage? What makes a solid Christian marriage? And this is the last sermon in that series about marriage. Next week, I'm going to be bringing a, a, just a standalone message uh, on our small, what our small groups are going to be doing. And then after that, we're going to be getting into parenting. We're going to spend a few, uh, spend some time in our uh, Sunday morning messages talking about being a godly parent, the Christian parent. Uh, it's an incredible challenge today. And I've, I've parented now in two different worlds. And I, I was at, the, I was at a, one, of our, one of the boys' baseball games the other night. And a couple of the fathers and I were standing around chatting, and one father was telling a story. It was so depressing. He was talking about his life, and he said, uh, yeah, I was born in 1983, and he went on and all, said all this stuff. And I looked at the other, one of the other fathers, and I said, you know, the most depressing part of that whole story was that he said he was born in 1983. He said, I had, been, uh, I had graduated from high school, I was married, I had my second child, I was in the Army, and this guy is born in 1983. So, just, just wanted a wheelchair to wheel myself off the field. But, but I'll tell you, today, if you're, understand how I'm saying this, I'm saying it a little bit tongue in cheek, but with some seriousness. If you've already raised your children and you don't have to raise your children in this day and age, be thankful. If you're raising children in this day and age, never more, at, at no time in history, I believe, has it been more important for us to know what the Bible says about parenting and raising children and how we are supposed to be. Too many parents today, and I know we're off topic, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, an insight of what we're, where we're going. Too many times, parents today, parents are letting kids run the show in their homes. Parents are, whoa, that was loud. Parents are, are, I'll just say this, the theme of it, the theme of the parenting series is going to be, remember who's the adult. Remember who the adult is in your home. And don't, <laughs> we'll just leave it there, okay? And we'll, 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 we'll get there when we get there. But we're finishing up this uh, series on what makes a solid marriage, what makes a solid Christian marriage. Would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? We have two texts for this series. First Peter chapter four, verses seven and eight say, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. First John four eighteen and 19 says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. A great, uh, the King James translates that word torment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. Now, as I said last week, we are all broken people. All of us are broken people. We can put on a facade, we can put on a show, we can try to make ourselves look better than what we really truly are, and we can put on a mask on the outside uh, what, that, that masks what's truly on the inside. But the fact of the matter is, we're all broken people. And, and until you realize that, and until you accept that about yourself, that you are broken, and that your, 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 your whole goal and mission in life 
as you walk with Jesus is to allow him to fix you and heal you and bring you along and make you, uh, make you new, then until you get to that point, you're always going to struggle with that. When it comes to marriage, that makes it an even greater challenge because marriage is a combination of two broken people attempting to become one family through the closest and most intimate relationship known to humanity. We've got no right to expect perfection from each other. We've got no right to expect perfection from each other in our church. And I think that's one thing that we have to remember, especially folks, especially as we come out of COVID. As we come, there are some people that we just have, you, you just have to realize, I know there's some people that are just gung-ho. Let's go, you know, you're, you, you're just ready for this all to be over. You were ready for this all to be over last June. You know, and you were, you're just, you're just gung-ho about it all and you think everybody should jump back into the water. And that's, that's great for you. But understand, not everybody feels that way. And when it comes to, especially when it comes to church, we're supposed to be grace people, right? We're supposed to be people of grace. We're supposed to be people of love. We're supposed to be people that look beyond the, the present and look beyond the immediate and see what could be and see what God wants to do. So as we come out of this as a church, it's important for us to remember that some people are still struggling with this. There are people in our church that are still struggling with whether or not to get the vaccine. That's, that's entirely up to you. We actually, Aaron and I have actually had long conversations about whether we should let our children, let, let Gabriel and Michael get the vaccine. I know the, those of you who have had it, <laughs> it's not a, it, it's a heavy dose. It's a heavy dose vaccine and there are reactions. And I wanna make sure that my boys, that it's gonna, be, it's gonna be safe for them. So I get it, I get it. We need to remember that. As we come out of all this, we need to remember that. Remember, how many of you went to the grocery store to a store this week and got nasty looks because you weren't wearing a mask? You know what? So what? <laughs> Seriously, so what? I, I just smiled at people because I could. Listen, I don't know whether you're upset because I'm not wearing a mask or because you have to look at my face. I'm not quite sure, but I'm smiling, okay? I'm happy not to wear a mask anymore. I really, truly am. I understand the purpose of it. I understood the purpose of it, and I respected other people. I, re I respected myself. I respected the fact that other people were nervous about it, and I, don't, I didn't want to see anybody get sick from this, and I still don't. I still don't. Uh, Melvin and Suzanne have a dear friend whose, whose significant other just passed away a few weeks ago, right as, I mean, right at the tail end of all this from COVID. I don't want to see that happen to anybody. So I'm not, I can have my own opinion and my own feelings on things, but I need to remember that other people don't see things my way. That same kind of grace and understanding is how we need to approach our marriages. Because we're two broken people trying to make one family unit. It's incredibly difficult. And for many of us, this past 15 months has revealed that to us. Two becoming one. That's the successful formula for a godly Christian marriage. And that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Now, we've covered three of the four pillars on which a solid Christian marriage is built. We covered the pillar of personal faith, that is being equally yoked 
both members of the, of the marriage knowing Jesus as their savior and living that way. Listen, you can both be believers in Jesus Christ and still be unequally yoked because one is pulling for Jesus and one is pulling against. So equally yoked is both of us pulling in the same direction, okay? Second one was the pillar of personal accountability and then the pillar of personal character. And it brought us to the pillar, to pillar number four, the pillar of personal maturity. And if you remember, I gave you 1 Corinthians 13, 11, that says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I think that is exactly what a marriage is supposed to be about. Putting away childish things and now truly trying to be mature as we enter this life. Let me tell you, there's one, there's one phrase, and I'm, I'm going to show my age with this, okay? Because there's one phrase, and I see t-shirts with it, and I see posters about it, and it just really kind of annoys me. Uh, but, but I'm different, and I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just different. And it's this whole idea of adulting. I hear, I hear young people, you know, young people in their 30s say, I don't like adulting. Okay, <laughs> whatever, you know, I just, geez, man, seriously? You want to go back to when you were 13? <laughs> Do you remember what it was like when you were 13? You want to move back into your mother's basement, your father's basement, and let them tell you what to do all the time and all that stuff? Because being an adult means you have the freedom to be an adult now and run your own life and do those kind of things. It's a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal. And I understand, don't, don't get me wrong, I understand the whole concept behind the thought, but when we approach marriage with that mentality, it's no wonder we struggle. It's no wonder marriages struggle when one or more parties in the marriage say, I don't like adulting. Well, that's what marriage is all about. Marriage is about two people becoming one. Two people putting aside their personal everything and becoming one family. Two becoming one. That's the successful formula for a godly Christian marriage. Putting away every childish thing involves more than just what we do. It goes to the very core of who we are and why we do the things we do. Now, as we look at this fourth pillar, same goes for last week as this week. I'm going to challenge you, married and single, to look at ourselves deeply and ask those difficult introspective questions. Listen, we're out of, we're, we're back to normal in life now. So now we can forget about having to, ha having to worry about the whole COVID part of life. And now we can get back to focusing on ourselves, our families, our marriages, our church, and reaching the world for Christ. And that starts with making sure that we are strong in who we are and walking with Jesus Christ and making sure that we bring that attitude to our marriage. I know it's a struggle. I know it's difficult. I know it's tough, but it's worth it. How do you grow into a mature married partner? The first thing we covered last week, I'll remind you of was this. How do you grow into a mature married partner? By being intentional. Remember I said, when you're in the marriage, be in the marriage. When you're in your marriage, be in your marriage. Focus on your marriage. There's a reason why you got married. If you got married just so you could have a ring on your finger, that was the wrong reason to get married. 
I think the one thing I challenge a lot of young, young husbands with is this. Remember why you married her. Remember why you married her. Yeah, I know. She does this, she does that. Yeah, ladies, I know. He's a jerk. I get it. I understand that. I've hung out with guys. My, I was in the air. You want to meet knuckleheads? Go into the military. You want to meet knuckleheads? Work the loading docks. I get it. I understand it. But remember why you married them. Remember why you married your spouse. That has to be the core. And remember the commitment you made to that marriage. And remember the commitment you made before God that you would do your best to cause that marriage to thrive and survive by being intentional. Now that brings us to the second part of this pillar of personal maturity. How are we going to become the mature, a mature partner in our marriage? By gaining perspective. By gaining perspective. How many of you remember when the book Don't Sweat the Small Stuff came out? Remember, it said Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and, and then it said, and remember everything is small stuff? It's not, okay? I like the idea of that book and I bought that book and I read that book, but not everything is small stuff in life. That's a very Pollyanna way of looking at things, that everything is, there are some big deals. There are some big issues. And in marriage, in families, in homes, there are some big issues. They're not small things. And you need to have the proper perspective. What is perspective? Perspective is simply the way we look at things, our frame of reference. Perspective is the broad grid through which we look at life. The way we see things, the way you view things, the way you see people, the way you see your marriage, the way you see everything about what's going on, your perspective. I love, um, truth be told, I love kids' movies. One of my favorite movies of all time, I love 42, probably my, my favorite movie of all time, Jackie Robinson. Uh, Field of Dreams, love Field of love Shawshank Redemption because it's all about hope. Um, but one of my top five favorite movies of all time, I love it, you're gonna laugh at this, Ratatouille. Yeah. I love, hey, that was good to see you. Didn't recognize it with the mask. Ratatouille. How many of you have seen Ratatouille? How many of you are, are mature enough to admit you've seen Ratatouille? Ratatouille is also an awesome movie. It's a funny movie. It's about rats, and a rat becomes a chef, and it's really cool. Okay, it's a fun movie. <laughs> and if you've seen that movie, you remember the critic comes into the restaurant, and they ask him for his order, and he says, how about some perspective? And I think it's such a great, I, I think that's such a great line. And in life, that's what we need. We need perspective. And we need to understand our perspective and how we see things, how we view things. That gaining perspective, understanding the right way to see your marriage, your life, your part in a marriage, is part of growing up and being mature in the marriage. Why? Because our perspective influences everything in our life. Our perspective influences our attitude. Our perspective influences our mindset. Our perspective influences our viewpoint, our outlook, and our beliefs. The way you see things, the way you view things, determines how you play those out in your life. I have challenged this church for the last year 
to look at each other's perspective. I, uh, I, if you're on my Facebook page, um, you will know that there is a candidate for school board that I am supporting here in town. And I think she's, she had a cookie event at the, high, at, at the congregational church yesterday and went and talked with her. And I was able to talk with two city councilors for a long, long time, had about a half an hour. Dad, remember Marilyn Richards? Marilyn Richards, old city, she's a city councilor still here in East Longmeadow. And her and my father go way back. And uh, Tom O'Connor, just talked for a long, long time with them. And I shared with them my perspective on things in the town. And the reason I support this candidate, Dr. Amy DeLenta, <laughs> is because her perspective on race lines up with mine. You see, my perspective on white and black and brown has changed enormously over the last several years. And I have challenged myself to have the courage to talk with men of color and women of color and listen to their perspective about their life, about how life has affected them, about how everything that goes on affects them. And it has changed me. It's changed the way I see people. It's, the way I change, it's changed the way I see society. It's changed the way I see a lot of things because I've allowed myself to gain something from their perspective. You need to bring that same challenging attitude to your marriage. When was the last time you sat down and listened to your spouse about their life, about their experiences, about what they went through? When was the last time you had the courage to listen to the things that your spouse had to endure in childhood that made them who they are today? If you would do that, you would begin to understand who they are. You would begin to understand why they act the way they do, why they respond the way they do. Ladies, your husband may not be filled with anger because he's an angry man. Your husband may have anger because of what happened to him when he was a child. Husbands, your wife may seem like a cold fish sometimes, not because she's a cold fish, but because of what was done to her as a child. And when you listen and learn and understand and hear what they're saying, you will begin to gain their perspective. And their perspective will begin to change your perspective. And the goal here is to have two different perspectives come together and be one. So that now all of the experiences that you have had in life, not just in life, but in your faith walk with Jesus, now come to bear. We're at a great point in our marriage. I'll tell you, Erin Aaron's been a believer now for about 11 years, and she's gonna graduate in August. She's gonna finish her bachelor's degree in August, and in September, she starts on her master's program. I'll tell you, we're having great conversations, man. We're having amazing conversations about faith. And I'm now, she's now able to understand my perspective. Because I was, I'm one of those, I'm one of those people that was, I was born on a Thursday, came home on a Monday, I was in church on a Wednesday. I wasn't even a week old and I was in church. And I've been there ever since. And that's what, that frames my perspective on life. 
So I see everything through a church lens. Aaron doesn't. Aaron came to know Christ at the age of 46. Or th I'm sorry, 46. 36. 36. She's 46 now. So it was last week. <laughs> so at the age of 36, 35, 36, she came to know Christ. She has an incredibly different perspective. And her perspective is, has not only helped me understand and, and change the way I see things in the home, but also the way I see things in the church. Because I see it from a, the perspective of someone who didn't grow up the way I did. I have a different perspective on life because, there it is, because I grew up as a Navy brat. I don't have roots anywhere. I can't go back and, my hometown, I consider my hometown Elkton, Maryland. That is, that is the hometown of my heart. East Longmeadow is the where, place I've lived the longest, but Elkton, Maryland is the hometown of my heart. It's where I went to, spent a lot of time going to school. I played baseball there. You know how long I lived there? Four years. <laughs> lived there for four years. Some of you, you've lived in the same space, same place, and you haven't left it for most of your life. Different perspective. You see, we all have different frames of references and different perspectives. Those perspectives make us who we are and cause us to see the world and life and people the way we see them. And those are the perspectives we bring to our marriages. And if we don't understand that we each have a perspective and we each see things the way we see them and each perspective is valid and has value and has, has, uh, has something to offer to the marriage, then we're not going to grow and become mature in our marriage. You gain perspective by asking questions like, am I making it personal when it isn't personal? Has that ever happened to you? Your spouse having a bad day? Has nothing to do with you. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Yet you make it about you. You've made it personal. They're not angry with you. They're not frustrated with you. They're frustrated with their day. They're frustrated with work. They're frustrated with people. They're frustrated with other things. And sometimes, and I'm, this is just a little side note, sometimes your spouse just needs to be able to vent. It's like, it's like the steam button on the, on the teapot or tea kettle or whatever. And they just need to let that steam off. And you just happen to be the one that has the pleasure and the, and the privilege of listening to them. But it's not about you. And you're not the ob and it's not personal. Now, if you're the one venting, you need to make sure you don't make it personal. Keep, keep your, keep the, keep the facts straight, keep your story true. But are you making it personal when it's really not personal? Am I blowing it out of proportion? You burnt the pork chops. Okay, order Chinese. I mean, you know, make a taco. Something, am I blowing it out of proportion? And that, that doesn't just go for the small things, that's big things as well. Will this matter, I think one of the best questions you can ask yourself in your marriage is this, will this matter in six months? Well, what we're arguing about, well, what we're fighting about, well, what, we're, what we're about to, to, to file for divorce over, will it matter in six months? You see, that's a perspective to have. Some things will. Some things you will have to deal with for many, many, many years. But some things you won't. It'll blow over. Am I making a mountain out of a molehill? Basically, am I making too much out of these things? 
Am I putting too much emphasis on the small things? Putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? Get that? How can gaining perspective help our marriage? Well, first of all, it helps us to deal with resentment. Gaining perspective helps us to deal with resentment. Gentlemen, let me tell you something. You will be the object of resentment towards men from your wife just because, if they have resentment towards men. You represent the male part of our species. Deal with it. Accept that. You know how you get through that? You know how you, you grow through that? And you know how you, you, uh, you help your wife through that? By being better. By being a better man than the ones that treated her the way she did. Ladies, my wife has found this out from our sons. In foster care, the, the foster mother or the adoptive mother takes, the, takes more of the targeted anger from a, from a foster child, and studies have been done, and it's proven true, and I'm telling you it's true in our home. Foster moms or adoptive moms take more of the targeted anger and frustration from the children that were adopted or fostered than the father. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, there's a lot of theories on that, but no matter what the theory or reasons are, it's a fact. So you can get upset about it, you can angry, get angry about it, or you can just accept that and be better. Ladies, like it or not, you're going to be the target of some frustration that your husbands have with dysfunctional relationships, whether it was with their mother, whether it was with other women, whether it, whoever it was. You're going to be the target of, of, of frustration and anger because of dysfunctionality. How do you deal with that? By being better. By working hard to be functional. Gain perspective. It's not personal. My husband has a challenge that he has to overcome. And I've married him, I love him, and I want to help him overcome it. Listen, if you don't want to help him become better, if you don't want your marriage to become better, if your perspective is it's not worth it, then your marriage isn't going to survive. That's just the fact of the matter. But you've committed to this relationship. You've committed to two becoming one. Therefore, it's important that you change your perspective and see things through the eyes of your spouse and try to be better. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one that endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Have you ever looked at that verse or verses like that and tried to apply them to your marriage? Oh, Pastor John, that's not talking about marriage. That's talking about the trials of life. Well, who do you spend most of your life with? Who do you argue with the most? Who do you get frustrated with more in life? Your spouse. That verse better apply to your marriage. Because if your marriage, if you, listen, if you're not going through, if you, if you haven't or if you, you didn't or you're not going through trials in your marriage, you must live in separate houses. Because trials and disagreements and struggles, you may be beyond most of them, but we all know that we had to go through some level of struggle in our marriage to get where we are today. First Peter 5.10 says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. Suffering isn't just persecution. Suffering is getting into a marriage and being in there and being invested and finding out that there are some difficulties to overcome and that it's more work than you ever thought it would be. And it's more difficult than you ever thought it could be. And because now you're having doubts that you never thought you had, you're becoming insecure. Perspective helps you get through those struggles in your life and realize that there is an end to this. And if I will put the work in to myself in drawing close to Jesus, to my spouse and listening to them and praying. Here's one, man. We forget this so much. Pray for your spouse. Before you argue with your spouse, before you, before you shoot your mouth off to your spouse, pray for them. Pray for what they're going through. Have you ever done that? How else does gaining perspective help us become mature in our marriage? It helps us plan for the long term. I've, made, I've said this several times in this series that the average, the, the, the thought of the, when, when, when young people are asked how long do they expect to be married, the answer, the average answer is five years. Five years. I, I don't get that. Especially when the average student takes seven years to get their, ma their bachelor's degree nowadays. So people, have, people are committing longer to their education than they are to their marriage. Listen, your marriage is a whole lot more important, especially as a Christian, your marriage is a whole lot more important than your education. Your marriage is, is a lifetime commitment. And as a Christian, it's a lifetime commitment before God. It helps you plan for the long term. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18 says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We don't focus on right, on, on right now. Right now, we have to deal with that. We have to get through that. We have to face that. But we face it with the long term in mind. If I can get through this, listen, if I can be better, if I can stop getting annoyed by the stupid little things, if I can stop allowing myself to lose my mind over the things that don't matter. How about this one? If I can stop being jealous of every guy that looks at my wife the way I don't think he should look at my wife, then maybe, just maybe, hey, that's, I'm, I'm true and honest, man, I had, I had to deal with that. Then maybe, just maybe, I can see beyond the temporary and see the future. And I want, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with Erin. I want to be married to her for the rest of my life. Why wouldn't I do what it takes to look beyond this temporary struggle? Deal with it, no doubt, deal with it. Deal with, the, with what's in front of me, but deal with it with a long-term strategy in place. 
You don't take on a career, you don't go into business with just the next six months in mind. Those six months may be that that's how you're going to survive and get through that, that initial period, but you've got a long-term goal. Maybe it's to have that one business and, and live there, live in that business or have that career and, and earn a pension and do everything you can and then retire and, and live your life that way. Maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe it's to have a string of, of uh, you know, I don't know, five and dime stores, for those of you who remember what those are. Whatever it may be. But you endure, you, 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 you deal with the struggle that's in front of you with the long-term goal in mind. And that's, I believe, how we need to approach our marriages and gain that long-term perspective. What else does it do? It helps us to be thankful. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. When was the last time you thanked God for your spouse? You thank God for what they've done for you in your life. Gentlemen, when was the last time you thanked God for how your wife has made you a better man? Ladies, when was the last time you thanked God for, and I'm assuming that these things happen in your home, by the way. When was the last time you thanked God for your husband making you feel like a very special person, the number one in his life? The, the, the top of his, gentlemen, when was the last time you made sure your wife knew that she was your number one? Ladies, when was the last time you made sure your husband knew that you appreciated who he is to you. Gaining perspective helps us to be thankful. I think one of the, one of the unseen and untalked about realities of marriage that comes to bear within the first year or two is this. You did not marry Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. And there are idiosyncrasies, there are annoyances, there are things that drive you out of your mind about that person, right? We could go around and everybody has their own, everybody could give their own little thing. I scrape my fork on my teeth and it drives Erin out of her mind because I am the kind, compassionate, loving husband I am. I do it intentionally once in a while. <laughs> Just because. Be, it helps you to be thankful for who God has placed in your life. And then it reminds us of what we're fighting for. It reminds us of what we're fighting for. We're fighting for the happiness of our home. We're fighting for the success of our marriage. We're fighting for the love that God gave us for each other. We're fighting for that. We're fighting for our family. We're fighting for the work of God to continue, not only in our lives, but in our families, in our home, in our church, and in our communities. Because remember, strong churches are built on strong homes, and strong homes are built on strong marriages. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How else are we going to become mature in our marriages? Well, the third thing is this. And this is so difficult, but so necessary. By learning the art of compromise. By learning the art of compromise. Now, growing up as a fundamental Baptist, compromise was a four-letter word. Okay, compromise was a, a bad word. We didn't compromise. 
We don't do those things. We don't compromise. And there's a difference between compromising your faith and compromising the Word of God and compromising in your home. <laughs> Listen, marriage is the great compromise. Two are becoming one. Two cannot become one without compromise. Not and be functional. Now, one may capitulate and give in and just go along to get along with the other one, but that's not a successful, sustainable uh, um, recipe for a successful marriage. Two have to become one. Two individuals have to become one. Two perspectives have to become one. Two child, children of God have to become one family unit for the kingdom of God. How does that happen? Well, we compromise. We compromise. We give a little bit here and there. What does it mean to compromise? Well, the first thing is you must be willing to sacrifice. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. It cannot be all about you. It just can't. It just can't be all about you. Ladies, you're going to have to give up some space in the closet. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gentlemen, listen, in your home, you may not be able to have a man cave. Your wife might like football as much as you do, and she might want to sit down and watch football with you. I remember when Tim Tebow was playing for the Broncos. Wow, Aaron, Aaron really liked Tim Tebow. Woo! That was crazy. Aaron, when, when she sits down and watches the Dodgers play, and she was watching it during the World Series last year, because the Dodgers won the World Series last year. Uh, didn't know if you knew that or not. But Aaron is, Aaron is energetic when it comes to being a fan, and she's just, I, it's crazy, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. You're going to have to be willing to sacrifice. I mean, little, thing, little, little things in, in, in cooking and, and things like that, and, and you know, the, the basics of life, but also in the big deals, in the big things. You may have to sacrifice things that have been very important to you and routines that you've had in life and the way you've always done things, especially those of you who got married later in life. If you got married later in life when you were already set in your ways, boy, that's a challenge. That's a challenge to really be willing to sacrifice and, comp sacrifice and compromise to make life work. But John 15, 13 says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest sacrifice you can make. And the, the, the essence of love in a relationship is a willingness to sacrifice. To say, while this may be important to me, this is more important to me. While this activity or this possession or this thing may be important to me, my marriage is much more important to me. Therefore, I'm willing to set aside my desires, my wants, and if both of you say that, you can come to a, a, an even compromise to make things work. And you can learn to get along. Hey, compromise may mean that you have to actually accept what your spouse likes to do and allow them to do it. I don't mean allow, I mean accept the fact that they do it and be okay with the fact that they continue to do those kind of things and pursue those hobbies 
even if you don't want to pursue it. It may just be okay with you. And on the other side, listen, my wife Erin loves horses. I don't really care. I, uh, horses are nice. I, they're okay. But I, have, I have a lot of joints that are messed up. I can't ride horses, man. I can't. I, I, ride, I ride horses too much and my, it'll pop my hips out of joint. That's just the fact of the matter. It'll, it'll pop those, those, the, the implanted hip, it'll pop it out of joint. So what do I say? No, Aaron, no more horses. How foolish, it's like, hey, Aaron, go. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy. I'm, I'm gonna say okay, don't worry about it. I'm not, you're, I'm not gonna try to commandeer your time. I'm gonna be okay with that. Be willing to compromise. Compromise includes disagreeing without being disagreeable, right? We disagree without being disagreeable. Compromise means committing to teamwork in your home. And who do you commit these things to? To each other and to God. God, I'm going to commit to teamwork with my spouse. I'm going to commit to working with my spouse to make this all work. Commit to having an open mind to your spouse's ideas and feelings. And I think this is the biggest part of compromising. Commit to finding common ground on your differences, whatever they may be. Commit to finding common ground on your differences, whatever they may be. Man, I'll tell you what, this is, this is something that we have lost in our nation today. It's something we've lost in our churches today and we're quickly losing it in our homes as well. A willingness to find common ground on our differences. If you're not willing to find common ground, especially as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, you're just being selfish. Now there are some things, we don't find common ground on different theologies of salvation, okay? The common, the, the, the common ground is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he is our savior, we must accept him as our personal savior. That's it, there's no compromise on those kind of things. But the, the, the style of dress we wear when we come to church, you know there are people that wouldn't come to our church because of the way we dress here. And that's fine, that's fine. There are people that won't come to our church because of the style of music we sing. That's okay, that's okay. I would say to people this though, and I've said this to many people, is it really that big of a deal for you to, you, you love the, the word we teach, you love the fellowship, is the style of music we sing, first of all, it's, it, it's not like we're singing acid satanic rock up here, <laughs> okay? We're singing praise and worship music. Now if you want that, we can bring Striper in here to give a concert, but, uh, but we, it's praise and worship music. It's singing praises to God. So is it really that big of a deal? Can, can you not sacrifice a little bit of your own? Because what that is is a selfish desire. I only like hymns. Well, have you opened your mind to a different style of music before and allowed other people to minister to you? Oh, that song, Another in the Fire. Whoa, whoa. I mean, that, that is down deep, man. And what's the other one we uh, sang in Spanish? What's that? Famous for. Famous for. Famous for. 
I listened to that song over at my, uh, Gabriel and Michael asked for that song on, we, we sing that, uh, the Torrin Wells live version. We sing that on the way, we, we play that on the way to school. I want my boys to be armed and equipped to face this world. Jesus, do what you're famous for. Walk me through the fire. Part the waters. Do the things. You know what that song is saying? Lord, the things that you did in your word, the things that you are famous for in your word, do for me in my life today. That song is a song about faith. That song is a song about appropriating God's word and God's promises to your life, that you did it for Moses, you did it for Joseph, you did it for the Hebrew children, do it for me. And uh, the, the Torn Wells Live, they go into, uh, from Famous Four, they go into Do It Again. And whoa, what a great transition. It's awesome. It's awesome. I say all that to say this. If a style of music is enough to keep you away from church, then you're just being selfish. If the way people dress in church is enough to keep you away from church, you're just being selfish. And if your, the way your spouse eats peas, maybe they put the butter on the knife and eat peas. Anybody eat peas off the knife? It's like more of a southern thing, I guess. But people do, I've seen people do that. They, eat, they get some butter and they put the peas in, the butter in the peas and they, eh, I've done it. Just, <laughs> just because, just because. But if we allow these petty things, if we, if we don't allow ourselves to be willing to compromise on things that, remember, go back to perspective, things that really don't matter in six months, things that really don't matter in the scheme of eternity, if we're not willing to compromise on things that really have no bearing on eternity, then we're never going to be successful. And if you're not going to be willing to compromise in your marriage on things that just don't matter in the grand scheme of life and marriage and eternity and the things of God, then folks, your marriage is going to be dysfunctional. You're always going to be dysfunctional and you're going to grow apart. And even though, like I've said several times in this series, there are worse things for marriages than divorce. Living apart while you're still married and not wanting anything to do with your spouse while you're still married is a pretty terrible way to live. And it's a pretty torturous way to live. Remember, remember 1 John? There is no fear in love because fear involves torment. Be willing to compromise. If you're not willing to compromise in your marriage, you will always be at war. <laughs> Lastly, how do you become mature in your marriage? a mature partner, by truly understanding forgiveness. If you, if you don't know already, folks, you're going to have to be forgiving in your marriage. Ladies, your husband is going to do stupid stuff. No doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially some of us. Gentlemen, your wife isn't always going to be the prom queen. Okay? We need to truly understand forgiveness. Andy Stanley said this about forgiveness. In the shadow of my hurt, 
Forgiveness felt like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. See, sometimes we don't want to forgive because that means we don't win. And I would make the case and make the argument this way. If you don't forgive, you lose every time. Because you are the one that endures the torture. I would much rather forgive and be able to move on in my life. There are situations, honestly, there are situations in my life right now that even my family asks me, how do you, how can you be that way? How can you be that way? And I gotta be honest, because I have an eternal, and it's not because I'm so super spiritual. That's not it. It's because I have an eternal perspective. And I understand human relationships, while they're important, and while they matter, human relationships that are dysfunctional are nothing more than a distraction for my service to God. Therefore, if someone wants to be continually dysfunctional and bring dysfunction into my life, I have a choice. I can say, listen, I'm sorry, but I've got to move on. Or I can stay in dysfunction. And there are others who want to constantly cause trouble and cause fight and cause wars. And I can choose to be bitter about that and angry and contribute to the fight. Or I can say, listen, I forgive you, but I've got to move on. Because I have a life to, it's not that I have a life to live, I have a life to live for Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to be bitter and angry and unforgiving, I'm never going to reach that. Oh, you don't understand. I, listen, I, I don't understand your situation. I'll be real honest with you. I don't understand everybody's situation. I don't understand everybody's perspective. I don't know what you've been through. But I do know that we serve a God that is, that is forgiving of everything that we do. And we serve a God who says, you can grant forgiveness if you appropriate love and grace into your life. Ladies and gentlemen, you can forgive in your marriage if you want to. Some of you want to hang on to things so that you have ammunition for the next fight. That is such a dysfunctional way of looking at marriage. So dysfunctional. It's been said your faith needs to be able to contend with the worst evil enacted by Christians and still be able to trust Jesus. <clears throat> There's a cold, hard truth of our marriage relationships. You ready for this? We're going to hurt each other. It's a cold, hard fact. We're going to hurt each other. It's a truth that plays out more times than we want to admit or accept. How you deal with those hurts, those betrayals, and those disappointments is what determines whether or not you will grow mature in your marriage and whether or not your, your marriage will be successful or whether or not your marriage is headed for disaster. So how do you deal with those hurts, betrayals, and disappointments? Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Here's the, here's the tough part. Forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. <sighs> he always has to do that. God always has to do that. 
He always has to throw Jesus into the mix. Well, wait a second. I'm human. Well, so is he. He died on the cross for your sins. He forgave you. You use his name as a swear word. He forgives you. You curse him. You act like the fool. You betray everything he did for you. Yet you still expect him to give you grace. And you still expect that place in heaven. And he forgives you. But you think it's your right not to forgive others, especially your spouse. You think it's your right not to forgive when Jesus forgives you over and over and over again? Who the bleep do you think you are, Christian? Seriously, who do we think we are when we aren't willing to forgive when the one who died for our sins forgives us over and over and over again. You want your marriage to be successful? Be willing to forgive. Well, what do I forgive? Well, Peter asked that question of Jesus, didn't he? What did Jesus say? Peter said, do I forgive him seven times? Peter thought he was being magnanimous. I'm being, listen, Lord, I'm, a, I'm gonna forgive seven times. And Jesus said, not seven times, Peter. 70 times 7, which in the, in, in the Jewish culture meant eternally, infinity. You never stop forgiving. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Forgive one another over and over again, for as long as you both may live. Forgive the past and put it in the past, never to be given breath again. Too many times we put our hurts on life support. We put them on a respirator and a ventilator so that we can bring them back to life when we need them. Because it's just great to throw that whammy in there when we need it. And then if I could just challenge you with this, end this on a positive note. In your marriage, gentlemen, ladies, I would say ladies more than gentlemen, because men have, we all have egos, but man, the male ego is a little bit more fragile than the female ego, okay? And just, just gonna be honest, that's, that's a psychological thing. But the male ego is a little bit more fragile than the female, sorry, Melvin. The male ego is a little bit more fragile than the female ego. But, fe but, but our wives have egos as well. So try to be an encourager. Try to be an encourager. Listen, you have entered into a relationship that has brought an entire life's experiences to bear into your world. Everybody that ever contributed anything to your spouse is what you have to deal with now. Everybody that ever did anything wrong or brought hurt to the life of your spouse, you now have to deal with. The names, the ugliness, the abuse, you have to deal with it now. 
You can choose to ignore it and be a jerk about it. Or you can choose to be an encourager. Hey, baby, we're going to get through this together. We're going to get through it together. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I am right here. And I'm here forever. Those of us who are in second marriages, your spouse may not be the most secure in the fact that they are your number one, you better make sure they're secure. I'm not going anywhere. You are my number one. And I'm going to encourage you over and over and over again to realize that we are together forever. And I am in this permanently. Be an encourager. Close this out with these verses, 1 Peter 4, 7, and 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 4, 18 and 19, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love. I love. I love Aaron. Because he first loved me. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just before we close this out in prayer, We've talked a lot about marriage, and maybe it came from a different perspective than you thought it would. Maybe there were some things that, that touched areas of your life and areas of your marriage that were challenging to you and, and made you really think about it and, and have, have really challenged you in, in areas of your life that you'd be willing to say, Pastor John, I, I could really use some prayer in this. And, and, I'm not saying your marriage is dysfunctional, but you've noticed there's some challenges there and you want somebody to, to agree with you in prayer about it. I wonder if you'd be honest and raise your hand. Nobody else is looking around, just you, me, and God. Thank you for your honesty. Listen, I believe, what, thank you, oh man, thank you for those hands. I believe with all my heart that the way we're going to come out of this COVID time and, and be a better church, be a stronger, more powerful church, is by being stronger, more powerful families. And the way we're gonna be stronger, more powerful families is by being stronger, more powerful marriages. And I promise you, I covenant with you that I will pray for you and I'll pray for your marriages because I know that that's where the success of this church, and I know that's the success of your life and your walk with the Lord centers around. Father, thank you so much for the privilege. Lord, I, <laughs> it was so different this morning, Lord. We've been in this, this, uh, this routine for 15, 16 months. It was so different today. It was a good different, Lord. It was so good to see everybody, people from first service and second service that have been this way for a long time back together. Lord, I know there are those that were out there who are still hesitant to come back. I pray that you'll give them the faith and the courage to make that choice. Father, as we move forward as a church after this time, 
Lord, may we remember what this is all about. It's not about power. It's not about show. It's about you. And God, as we move forward through life, as we come out of this time in our marriages, these, this, this amazing time that challenged and, and stressed and strained our marriages, Lord, may what we heard and what we studied dig in. I pray for those who raised their hand and those who, those who didn't, those who were listening on Facebook or YouTube that, that have this same request. God, I pray your peace and your grace, your understanding and your love on these individuals. Lord, may it be powerful and life-affirming and life-changing. And God, I pray, I pray, Lord, that all will be done for your honor and for your glory. Lord, bless this church, bless these people. Lord, bless our marriages. Father, bless our marriages. Give us a fighting spirit. And may everything we do bring glory to you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.